Welcome to the OA Light a Candle podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the, the Light a Candle podcast are, are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Colleen. Hi, I'm Colleen, compulsive of reader. Uh, thank you, VC, for asking me to be of service. Um, it's funny, as I was walking up here, I'm like, oh my God, I forgot my pictures. Because um, you'll think I'm lying, otherwise um, you won't, hopefully. But uh, <laughs> to qualify, I've been abstinent uh, 17 and a half years. I came into the rooms in July of 2002. My abstinence day is August 4th, 2002. Who knew it was going to, I would still be here. Um, not that I thought I could go anywhere else. I just didn't, I, had no, I couldn't, like, conceive of, like, I was, like, surprised when I hit 30 days. I was surprised when I got six months. And um, my top weight that I know was 311 pounds. I've been maintaining about 160, 170 pound weight loss probably for about 15 years now. Um, and that is absolutely miraculous and not something that I ever thought was possible. Um, when I first came into the rooms... I was in a lot of pain. I was in a lot of emotional pain. I was in a lot of spiritual pain. I was in physical pain. Um, and I couldn't delude myself into thinking that, like, my body wasn't as big as it was. Because that was always my, my thing, was that I really just didn't get, like, how big I was. Because I was very detached from my body. Um, my body was the enemy. You know, um, when I was really young, a lot of really confusing things happened and a lot of scary things happened. And I just did what children do, which I took the blame. But then, you know, I needed so I put it on my body. And so my body just became the enemy. And I think so much of my eating, it served multiple purposes, but certainly um, was one way of punishing my body. Um, but, you know... Food kept me quiet. It kept me checked out. Um, it created these layers of protection around me when I didn't have words to say back off. <laughs> it's funny as I think about it. I was on this um, first coffee date with this person um, the other night. <laughs> Let's just say I won't be going out again. But, um, <laughs> like... He, he just kept doing this thing where he just kind of kept gently sort of touching me, which is fine, but, like, it was incessant. And I just laughed because in my head I was thinking, will you stop touching me? You know, like, and I didn't say that. You know, I just, um, I navigated the situation successfully for the moment. That's, we'll just say that. So, um, but, like, the thing is, is that there was a time in my life when that would be happening, when I would just be sitting there thinking of, like, peanut butter and chocolate and ice cream cake. And, you know, like, I would not even be cognizant of, like, what the problem was. Like, and I would probably would not have an awareness of how that experience was feeling in my body because I'd be so afraid of even knowing that, you know. Um, I do think it's really interesting that, that – you know, feelings or, or emotions, like there's a physical experience of them, and I think that's very telling um, because that's so much of what I was avoiding. Um, you know, as a kid that I was very, 
I was very expressive and very emotional, and I've heard this before in the rooms. My mother said I, I reminded her of Sarah Bernhardt, who was apparently this black and white film actress, like no sound or whatever, who was always like, <gasps> you know, and then they do the lines, so oh no, you know, and like I didn't know who she was when I was a kid, but I was like, I don't like her because apparently you don't like her, you know, but I was like, I don't know, like I just, you know, you couldn't help but just be like, wah, you know, and so, um, it just, you know, clearly, I, I think I just didn't know what to do sometimes, you know, and it's funny, too, because I have a niece who literally looks just like me, it's frightening, um, and, you know, watching her over the years as she's grown up, and watching how emotional she is, and I'm like, whoa, yeah, I get it, like, and I just wanted, I remember one day I wanted to walk up to her and go, I know it's okay, it's a little overwhelming sometimes, you just kind of want to, like, get it out, like, and you don't know what to do, you know, um, so, what I got from the messaging or whatever that people gave me, because it was all they knew, you know, was, like, the, the, that's not acceptable, like, so there was no room for that, so I, I learned to just push it down, you know, because I, I wanted to somehow be okay, and so often for me, the eating came after that, so it wasn't this immediate thing of like, oh, I'm, I was always fascinated when people would say, like, I'm an emotional eater, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm emotional, like, I, I didn't even, you know, like, there wasn't really even an understanding of, like, how much of my reality that was, um, and, you know, you, my experience is that you can go pretty far in life, you know, sort of focusing on your intellect and stuff, especially in Western culture. I mean, that's what's valued. That's what we get the awards for. See, that are like sports. Well, that wasn't going to happen because I was the fat chick. Um, I, I mean, actually, it's interesting because I was a dancer, but I was, I was heavier than most of the rest of the girls. So then that just adds a slab of shame on top of that, you know, because they're in the locker room going, I'm having tea for lunch. And I'm like, yeah, that's not what I'm having. But, okay. <laughs> You know, that's why I'm in the jazz class and you're in the ballet class, you know. Because um, <laughs> in jazz, we get to eat stuff. <laughs> um, probably not what I was eating, but it was a little, there was a little bit more leeway, you know. There was an opportunity and it was also a, a very safe way for me to connect to my sexuality, which was a big no-no. Um, so you know, all of these things are happening, and I have, I have no tools, and food comes along, and, like, on some level, I must have felt like this feels a little bit better, you know, like, this, this kind of takes the edge off, you know, and I get to go back into sort of my dream world of stuff, and, and not have to deal with reality, you know, it really numbs me out, like, I, I go into a different space when I'm eating, and sometimes it's just the act of eating, because even now, like, I don't eat any of my alcoholic foods, so I know I'm not getting drunk on anything, but, like, I have to say in general, like, um, oftentimes I find a hard time, like, socializing with people I'm eating, because I'm just like, what? I'm sorry. Like, I'm focused, you know? Don't interrupt me, you know? Like, don't you know this is all I get? You know, it's like... <laughs> You know, and that's why, like, internally, I'm like, God, please help this be enough. Please help this be enough. Um, really, it's fascinating. Please help this be enough. Like, oh, my God, that's not going to be enough. It was funny because I was at this work event, and um, I'm a supervisor of this team of people, and, and I, of course, have the healthiest meal there, you know, which a number of them have to point out. I'm always fascinated. I feel like people need to walk up and go, I have food issues, so I'm going to talk about how healthy your meal is, you know. 
Um, and I just go, hmm, just work, what works for me. But um, I, I literally was like, and I'm a very slow eater, and people have often said, that's fascinating. I'm thinking, I just want it to last longer. <laughs> you know, but I mean, it's, you know, it's not like that all the time. And most, and like the meal ends, and I'm like, sometimes I'm like sad, you know. Most of the time I'm like, well, that was good, whatever. Like next, you know, it just doesn't, that's how I know that I'm not in the disease, how I'm abstinent, that I'm like, you know, and then and what is really funny too are like times when I think I'm looking forward to something and then I eat it. I'm like, really? Okay, all right. You know, like it's just not an issue, which is a, a absolutely amazing to me because like if you, I mean, like I could tell you about the times that I planned, like I was gonna go here and then here and then here and then like only half of that actually made it home with me because I'm in the car eating it. You know, I remember as a kid watching this TV movie about this woman who was a bulimic. And she went to the grocery store, and she started eating the cookies in the grocery store. And I was like, ooh. Like, I never did that. See, because I wasn't I, – it showed. So, like, I just knew people would be like, oh, <laughs> you poor fat thing. You know, like, it just – you know, I, I just had this story about, like, I'm fat and I'm ugly and I'm a mess. And, you know, and it was like – so what that meant was is that I – kept really how I ate hidden as much as possible um, and like did really good at like being what you wanted me to be and following the rules and getting the good grades and being pleasing and I was the teacher's pet and, and I did well in school and I got involved in church and you know like all these things so that you could keep telling me I was okay because inside I did not feel okay. Like, I felt gross, I felt disgusting, I felt like there's something wrong with me, I thought it's always my fault, you know. And to the point where, like, if someone ever said to me that they were disappointed in me, I mean, like, that was like death, you know. Because I was like, no, we can't have that, you know. Like, oh my God, what do I have to do, you know. And what that meant as a consequence is that I, I didn't have the freedom to, like, there was no space in there to connect with who I am, with how I'm feeling, with what I need, with what I want. Like, you know, it's, it's interesting even today, like I was listening to this, this discussion, this podcast discussion, and they were talking about like finding things you love. And I'm like, I don't what do I love to do? I don't know. I'm like, that's such a loaded question. Like, can we just like knock it down a notch? Like, you know, what's interesting to me, like, it's a little bit easier, like, what do I love to do, you know, it's like, God, why is everything so freaking heavy, you know, but, <laughs> so, you know, it's just, like, the thing about the food is that, like, it gave me a way to survive, okay, and, and I'm really grateful for that, because if the food had not worked, I can tell you right now, given the doses and the amounts and for me, it was always the sugar and the really um, creamy and the soft and the deep fried and, like, all that stuff. Um, that, if that had not worked for the amount of time that it had, I would have gone on to other things. You know, like, I remember drinking once when I was, like, in... I was probably around 12 in the holidays or whatever. We were allowed, the kids were allowed to have wine with dinner. And I remember drinking the wine going, hmm, I like this a little too much. I should probably stay away from it. That's interesting, right? But the other thing about it was that um, as I got older, 
um, you know, when you need lots of food when you're over 300 pounds. So lots of sugar, lots of pizza, lots of, you know, all these things. And that gets tiring because you got to go here and you got to go there. I mean, like, this was before, like, everything could just be delivered to you. <laughs> Although they had started, like, internet ordering and pizza delivery. I was like, yes, love this, right? <laughs> so I can only imagine if I was not abstinent today the sort of damage I would do. But um, the thing about it is that oh, I totally lost my train of thought there. Anyways, maybe it'll come back. So I'm um, just so you don't, in case you didn't figure, I have no idea where this is going to go. So I'm hoping at some point something will be helpful. But anyways, so, um, you know, I started to, like, experiment a little bit more with, like, drinking and stuff. Because by this time, and this was probably a couple years before I came into program. And um, so I don't. I drink very much like I would eat. Like, <laughs> there was no, I'll just have a sip. You know, it was like drinking something called jungle juice. Whoa. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that was a jungle. <laughs> um, and, you know, like, next thing I know, I'm, like, dancing in a way I normally would with some guy I don't even know. And I'm like, yeah, this is probably not a good thing. But, <laughs> um, and then I do remember very clearly when I, um, when I first got abstinent, when I first came in, I was in my late 20s, and I didn't go to, to drinking. I went to, all of a sudden, I'm in all these online chat rooms and, like, meeting men that I don't know and doing things that I swear to God, it's absolutely amazing to me that I am still alive and in one piece and that I was never raped because there were some compromising situations. But I just was so, like, unglued. Like, I didn't, you know, I didn't have my stuff, right? Like... And it's literally like having your skin ripped off. And I just felt very raw and, and didn't know where I was going. And I'm really grateful that, that I had enough wherewithal that those elements of, like, being people-pleasing and stuff, that's really what kept me grounded. Because when I came in, you said, well, get a sponsor, and we read these steps, and you go to meetings. And I was like, okay, like, there's a, there's a thing, right? And you got to you follow the thing. And... Okay, like, I can do that, you know, because, like, you guys were so warm and loving, and you're, like, keep coming back, and I was, like, okay, you know, and, like, I'd get up, and I'd be, like, blah, 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 and you're, like, Okay. You know, I mean, this was such a contrast to like we're just not going to talk about the things that nobody wants to talk about. We're just all going to pretend like everything's fine. You know, like let's put all the lights up, let's put everything up, let's invite all the people over, let's have a great time, and then they'll never know. You know, and so like there was such a contrast, and I was like, there's something very freeing about this. You know, so. Um, when I first came in, like I said, I was really uncomfortable in my body, and I just, I couldn't avoid it anymore. I used to describe myself as being a reverse anorexic, because I'd look in the mirror, and I didn't see, like, this large body. I saw, like, a normal-sized body. And I remember, even in high school, like, we had these um, doors that were, like, uh, glass doors or whatever. So when they, you know, like, given how the light hit, they became, like, mirrors or whatever. And I remember thinking in the morning, like, when I left, like, I looked decent or whatever, you know, and I'd be walking in the hallway, and all of a sudden this image, and I was like, oh, God, I look, like, terrible, you know. And I, so I was just defeated. I was like, well, whatever. It doesn't really seem to matter, you know. I was not somebody who dieted, like, my version of a diet was... I'd lay in bed at night after having binged, 
like touch every part of my body and God, God, please make me skinny when I wake up. And then I wake up in the morning and I wasn't skinny and I was like, and and, but, and I was doing all that, like, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to have this anymore. I'm not going to eat this anymore. And then like by nine o'clock I was in all of that. So, you know, um, but I mean, like even, even in my household, which was like the, the scariest place to be where my disease bred, like for breakfast, I would have like checks wheat checks, right, which didn't have sugar on it, so, like, I would, <laughs> I would take raw sugar, because, you know, that's better, and, like, <laughs> pour it over the top, and then I would have chocolate chip cookies, and I'd, I'd smush peanut butter in them, so I made a chocolate chip peanut, because chocolate and peanut butter is, like, the bomb, um, and, I mean, you know, it was so funny, because years into abstinence, like, after I'd stopped eating sugar, I'd be in, a, like, a 7-Eleven, and I'd see how they combine, like, Reese's Pieces and Reese's Peanut were cups and I'm like oh, I so missed out on that and I'm like oh no I didn't right <laughs> you know like no but anyway so like that was breakfast right that's a real like get your day started kind of thing so like I got the sugar crash going by like 10 a.m or oh no actually probably it's more like 12 because I didn't get up till like 10 or 11 but you know and so it's so funny because as a contrast like I get up between 4 30 and 5 in the morning and I do my prayer and meditation routine and I go and work out and then I eat breakfast like it's just amazing to me like how my life is different um so, like, that's the kind of thing that I come from. So then, like, that would start me off, and then, like, you know, like, then it would just lead to everything else, you know. And then after a certain point, it doesn't really matter as long as I'm putting something in my mouth. So when I came in, you know, I, I found a sponsor. I established an abstinence, which was became the, the framework for my abstinence today, which is that it was three meals a day, nothing in between. Um... And I could have two snacks, which was a piece of fruit. Um, and later on, I started to add actual foods to my abstinence. Because if you'd said to me, well, maybe you should stop eating sugar when I first came in, I would have been like, yeah, out, I'm out. You know, like, I was very protective of my food. I was very scared of you asking me about my food because, like, that was the whole thing. Like, I grew up with an experience of always being criticized about my food. So I was like, I don't want to hear it. So, um... By the grace of God, I can think of no other reason, like, my sponsor was just like, well, just, you know, like, pick things you like to eat. I was like, okay. And and we established this, this thing of, like, an hour, which I still kind of go by. Like, I look at the clock when I start eating and go, okay, within an hour I should be done. Not that it ever takes me an hour. I don't eat that slow. But the idea is that if for some reason I get pulled away or something like that and if I come back to it, at least it's within the hour if it goes outside the hour like the meal's done whatever and then I cry or something but um <laughs> you know or actually it's more like I think I'm gonna die and then I don't because I you know over the years like I've had to pull back on my food I've, I've had very few moments where I got to add food back in that was an interesting experience um and I always think I'm going to die. Like, I, I just do, you know. And I never do. I'm like, I'm still here. So, obviously, something's <laughs> working, you know. But, um, so that became the basic structure. And then over the years, as, as I worked with different sponsors, about six months into it, I stopped eating sugar. And actually, the, my first experience of that was that, like, it got really quiet. And I was like, oh, like, I can actually hear what's going on in here. Not that I always liked it. I just was like, it's a little quieter. You know, that piece was nice. Um, and then 
Um, I went like 40 days without having blatant sugar. Some people call it recreational sugar, which I always think is like sugar having a party. It's like, <laughs> I think I don't, I don't, I never experienced it as a party. It was more like, I've got to have this, you know, like, um, but anyway, so um, after the 40 days, I, had ne- I hadn't said like, I'm never going to have this again because that's a good way to get me to eat it. Um, but I had some. And, and I remember very specifically what I had. It was this chocolate chocolate chip muffin, which is basically a cupcake. <laughs> um, but they call it a muffin. <laughs> Must be healthy, right? Um, and, um, and I felt it going through my body, and I felt it coursing through my veins, and I was like, this feels disgusting. And all of a sudden, I had this space of, Oh, my God. And I thought about, like, the bags of peanut butter M&M's and all the stuff that I just shoved into my body without a thought about how it felt. And I was like, I'm so sorry. And from that point forward, I never went back to it, you know. I was like, I don't want to do that to myself. So that basically, you know, a general rule for me is it has to be like the fourth or whatever ingredient of something if there's sugar in something or fruit is fine. Um, so um, and then, you know, as, as time went on, that was, another piece of what happened there was that when I stopped eating sugar, a lot of old memories came up for me that I was really confronted by. So you can eat a lot of other stuff because, you know, pizza doesn't have sugar in it. Um, fried chicken doesn't have sugar in it. Um, and so I, I kind of buffered that experience in the interim, which I think is what it needed to be. Like I wasn't quite there. And then when I reached a year of abstinence, um, I was like, I, I had come to terms with that. I had used food to protect me, you know, and that I was carrying all this extra weight as a form of protection. And... I was like, well, obviously, what I thought I needed to be protected from already happened, so it's not working. So I was like, well, then I don't, I don't want it, you know. And so, you know, they talk about in Chapter 5, it says, if you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it. Um, so my sponsor pointed out to me that, that we make a decision. And so that was my decision point. You know, I'd been a year abstinent, which I think was helpful because there was some sense of, like, I I have something, right? Like, so this thing about not eating in between meals. Because even if I'm not eating my alcoholic foods or I'm eating all day long, yeah, that's very established. Like, I'm not always, like, fully there with somebody when I'm eating. Like, it's just a split experience. So um, there's something for me around the, the motion or whatever of eating. And maybe someday that will go to whatever. Like, I'm, I'm not worried about it. It's, it's not enough where I'm, like, finding myself wanting to eat all day long so I can have that experience. It's not that kind of thing. So at that point was really when I amped up my program. And I got a different sponsor because the one I'd been working with, we had just kind of collided a little bit. And, um, and I started going to more meetings. And then I really looked at my food. Um, and, you know, started weighing and measuring, and I had to get on the scale once a week, which is probably the hardest thing in the world, because I never got on the scale except when I went to the doctor's office. Um, 
I mean, even took like the sponsor I had had before I, I started working with this woman who I consider my lifesaver. Um, she actually had to say, Colleen, your pants are falling off. I think <coughs> you should downscale and buy some new pants. You know, like that's how out of touch of it with it I was. So, um, you know, the whole thing was that I, I was now accountable on a whole different level um, because I really got that I was willing to do whatever it took because um, I wanted to save my life. I found something that was worth saving. The hope that, that was sort of barely lit um, had grown in the year or whatever that I'd been in the rooms. And um, and I saw people and I heard people share about stuff. And I was like, there's something to this. You know, people talked about, like, moving through things and growing through things. I saw people cry. I saw people scream. Um, and... And then people were there for them. And I thought, okay, like, I, I can do this. Um, and, I mean, not just me. Like, I, I've always had a strong sense of, of higher power, although food and body were always the areas that I thought I was supposed to take care of. Like, what did God care about those parts of me? Um, and I've since come to realize, well, if I believe that I was created by this something greater than me, then every single cell was created. So, therefore, God must care about that, you know. And so as I began to sort of open up to involving God in every part of my life, um, and like I said, those prayers of, like, God, please let this be enough, or God, come between me and the food before the food comes between me and you, became really, really crucial. And then the other big element for me as we started, as I started working through the steps with my sponsor, because that's that's what I need to do. Like, I'm I'm really now, like, I've dialed the food down, I don't have any of my like little like little comfy things or anything, um, and I you know I could either go start getting mad or I could start working the steps. Thank you. So um, wow, I talk a lot. So um, basically, um, when I got headlong into the steps, um, I began to see how it really wasn't about the food; that it was so much about like not knowing how to do life, you know, and what I saw in the steps and in the patterns I had and my four step, which actually after a while was sort of hilarious because it literally was like, oh my God, my life has been on freaking repeat for like years. I just give them different people, different situations and doing the same thing, you know, and learning to live by things like the 10 step principle, which is that anytime we're disturbed by a person, place or thing, there's something wrong with us. Now, I don't usually say wrong with me because that's what I spent my whole life thinking, but I'm I recognize that the disturbance is with me. Like, I'm the one who has energy around it. And so, at first, that seems daunting because I think, oh, my God, that means I'm responsible for everything and every reaction I have. I mean, like, what? Who else is going to be responsible? But, you know. <laughs> but the thing is, is that what I realize is actually very freeing because then that, that means it's within my power to do something about it or at the very least be like, God, how do you see this? Like, I have no idea what to do with this. You know, like, I can't tell you the number of times over the years when I've come up across stuff, whether it was work things or relationship things, and I thought, I have no idea what's going to happen here. Like, I don't know what to do, you know. And just like, God, whatever, like, I just, I don't know. So I, I'm, I'm guessing that I'm in this situation for a reason. And I don't know, I'm hoping it's for something good at some point. Or, you know, like, I guess it's a growth experience. I don't like growth experiences sometimes, you know. Um, but I, I've learned to be 
okay with discomfort. Um, that's what my daily prayer and meditation practice has taught me. Like I sit down and I do nothing for at least five minutes, sometimes 20 minutes or whatever. Um, sometimes I fall asleep. Sometimes my mind doesn't stop wandering, you know, and I think I don't, I don't, I've got things to do. I don't want to sit and I just sit, you know, and I breathe and I maybe focus on something, but I, I give that time, you know, and it's, as I look at my life now, and this was something that I realized, I don't know, like five, six years in the program, is that, you know, when I was a kid and I would have these sort of, like, ideas about, like, what I wanted life to be like and how I was going to be in the future, you know, when I got out of the house or I got away from my family or whatever it was. And none of those things are like I imagined they would be. Um, but I feel the way that I, I sensed that I would feel you know and so feelings are this strange currency <laughs> that I wanted nothing to do with that I didn't think I had the right to have and then often are the thing that want that keeps me from going into whatever it is you know it's it's the fear of of how it will feel you know and I always think it's funny that as addicts we have this notion of like we don't we're afraid of the feelings, but we want to feel like doing something before we do it, which is completely counterintuitive. And I heard this great explanation. Sometimes I go to open AA meetings, and, and this gal said, feelings, you don't put them in the trunk, but you don't put them in the driver's seat. And I was like, oh, right, okay. So, like, stuffing them in the trunk, we all I, I figured out how that one works, not well. Um, putting it in the driver's seat, probably not a good idea either, you know. But, like, I need to have it on my my wheel of awareness because um paying attention to that is important indications of things and that was something my sponsor had said to me um she said feelings are just indications they're not facts they're just indications you know it's information um and i feel like so much of what life is that that nobody ever told me was that it's about constantly growing and you constantly learn information about yourself, about the people around you. Um, and hopefully, at least what I've gotten from living these steps, it's about growing more into love, whatever that is. You know, like an expanded sense of being. Um, a sense, for me, it's always about what's going to bring me the greatest freedom, you know, um, so that I'm not boxing myself in. Because I box myself in with the weight, and then I can box myself in with my fears. I can box myself in with my ideas about how it's going to turn out, because I always know. I never know. Like, and um, it's funny, I was recently reflecting on that, you know, our minds create, as somebody described it once, a bunch of scary movies. And I remember hearing that in a meeting once, going, yeah, but I watch them like they're documentaries, you know? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. You know, and that's where I get in trouble. It's like just because I think about it doesn't mean it's true. You know, just because I have thoughts about this person doesn't mean it's true. Just because my favorite was always like, I know they think they're thinking about this. A, they're not thinking about me. Why do I know this? Because I probably don't think about you very often either. You know, <laughs> like. Um, and that sounds terrible to say, but, you know, honestly, like, my first reaction is, like, how is this going to affect me? It's just the truth. And I just go, okay, let's kick it down a notch. Like, we're fine, right? Like, I always have to, like, I do this thing all the time where I look at my hands, 
you know? And I go, look, look at these adult hands. Like, this is where we are. Because so much of, of my automatic reactions come from a place that's a very young space inside of me. And so the more I remember to, like, reorient myself to where I am, because the experience I could be having, you know, could be, like, just an old, like, whiff of something and it just has no basis in reality it only had a basis in reality in the moment in which it happened but for whatever reason was very captivating it has a space still there and it's usually something that's being called that needs some kind of healing or love or tension or something and all i have to be is like nope see look this is where we are you know and i don't know how that how that configures itself to be a life in which I'm not seeking to get to the next door to get to the next door to get to get my fix or how I'm willing to like go out and do things that I'm scared to do or put myself in situations that I know nothing about um, or that I even maybe dare to dream about what it is that I want or want to create um, or that I manage that when I when I look at people, like I can sometimes see this light inside of them, regardless of how they're behaving or what they look like, you know, um, and that I strive for that, um, that I notice when the conversation in my head is about like how this is all not working out and it's not going well and it's really irritating and blah, blah, blah. And I just go, just stop, you know, because the other part of my disease is this constant self-criticism and judgment of myself and what I've learned over the years is that simply keeps me blocked off you know it it was a it was something I developed um as a way of sort of keeping myself in line which was very beneficial at the time but it it now hinders me because it keeps me a focused on me so I can't see you when I'm focused on me. And that whether that's about my body or about how I'm behaving or what I'm doing or am I getting it right or whatever it is. Um, or I shouldn't have said that. Or, like, what were they thinking about me? Wait, that's right, they weren't thinking about me. You know, all those various things. And so, like, keeping that in check. Like, well, hold up. Like, how bad could it really be? Like... Because every time we've, we have forecasted the worst-case scenario, it never turned out like that. And I've heard people say that in the movies for years. Like, yeah, thank God all the worst things I ever thought about never came true, you know. Or, like, I imagine all these terrible things and none of them came true, or whatever the expression is that I've completely butchered. So, um, you know, what I, what I would say in closing is that... Um, Somehow, you know, they, they talk about, the 10th step is probably one of my favorites. You know, the, the word continue is used like a bunch of times just in the reading of the step, right? Um, the first paragraph in the book. And like that seems to be the deal. So like if I wake up, that means I'm breathing, so I get another day. So I'm grateful to, to God for my abstinence, the opportunity to be of service. Um, thank you. And... Um, so I get a chance to continue. So I'm, that's why I'm here. I guess I'm just going to continue. So thank you for letting me share.
keep calling. <laughs>